For this morning, we are going to take a, uh, a slight detour uh, from our study of the epistles of John. Last week, we finished 2 John, and in a couple weeks, we'll start 3 John. But this morning, I just wanted to really share, uh, um, in, in, a, in a sense, a pastor's heart and a pastor's concern for how we listen to the Word of God. And so this morning, I'm going to challenge us with the message of to be careful how you listen. To be careful how you listen. Listening, how we listen to Scripture is a major theme in Scripture. You can find it all throughout the Scriptures in various places. But there's one particular illustration that I want to start with this morning to show you the heart of really what we're talking about this morning. And it comes from 2 Kings chapter 5. And I'll read it to you. You can follow along in your Bibles or just listen as I read along. This is a story you probably know, uh, probably have heard it. If you've grown up in, uh, in the church, you've probably heard at least Sunday school lessons and children's lessons about this. But it is a lesson for all of us, not just for children. It's about Naaman being healed of leprosy. Now let's read 2 Kings chapter 5. I'll just start in verse 1. Now Naaman, the captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. And just to set a little bit of a picture there, understand what's going on. The little girl had been taken captive, but she knew a prophet in Israel, a, a man of God who could cure disease, not because of his own power, but because of God's word speaking through him. Just, just fill in the lines a little bit. That little girl was taught by some parent. We don't know if that, little, if that parent was anywhere nearby at this stage in her life, but that little girl had been taught by a parent about God. That little girl was exercising a small measure of faith as she had been taught that there was a genuine God, a, a prophet of God who could heal. And there was a bit of probably a bit of misunderstanding on the king of Aram's part. He sent this letter to his with his servant. It's a letter of introduction, but also kind of a letter of, hey, you better take care of my servant here. And the king read it and fainted because he was not a godly king. He was not one who listened to the prophet. 
that uh, Elisha, as we'll read about in a moment, he, all he could think about is, since when did a king of Israel ever cure leprosy? Read your Bibles back and forth. You won't find one because there, was, there wasn't one. And so he was panicking. He thought he was going to, this, this king of, of Aram was going to just like pick a fight with him. It was just an excuse to attack the nation of Israel. I'll pick up the story in verse 8. And it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. You notice the king's reaction was to tear his clothes. That's a symbol of mourning and of great despair. Didn't turn to God in prayer, and he certainly didn't turn to the prophet. But in the Lord's compassion, the, the prophet had heard about what had happened and sent word to the king that Nahum should be sent to see him. So in verse 9, so Nahum came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Now there's great fanfare here and pomp, I should say, is probably a better way to put it. This was a great man. Nahum was a great warrior and, and a great man in his kingdom. The Lord had blessed Nahum or blessed the nation of the leadership of Aram because of Nahum. That's what the scriptures say. This is a man that, that was used to attention. When, people, when he spoke, people listened to him. When he gave orders, his servants did what he asked them to do. So he comes with his chariots. Notice it says he came with his, his horses and, and his chariots. So here's this, this great entourage has come from a foreign country to see Elisha. What is Elisha's response? Elisha sent a messenger to him. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. That's the first thing that goes wrong in Nahum's mind. Nahum has come to see Elisha and Elisha he wants to see. He wants Elisha to come out to him to bid him some kind of greeting to, to see this great prophet, but Elisha doesn't do that. And here, Elisha just sends a messenger why he does this? In the providence of God, he knew it would challenge Nahum's pride. But he also knew it would disconnect him from the miracle itself. See, the issue wasn't Elijah or his God-given ability to heal that was happen. But the issue was that Nahum needed to be taught that there was a God in Israel who could heal leprosy. So Nahum came with his horses to the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him. Didn't bother to come out. Just sent a messenger. Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. Simple message. Simple message. Just go wash in the Jordan and your flesh will be clean. Very easy to do. And yet how did Nahum respond? Verse 11. But Nahum was what? Was he thankful that he had gotten a message from this prophet? No, the scriptures say he was furious. He was furious. Here you have a mighty warrior with, not by himself, with his chariots and his soldiers, his horses, his strong men. He's furious. This prophet didn't come to see him. And the prophet sent a messenger just to tell him to go wash in the Jordan. Now, 
remind ourselves of what the Jordan is. The Jordan is that river that flows from the Sea of Galilee to the, the, the Dead Sea. It's a river that at times can be just a little trickle. It's, a, it's at times a river that can overflow its banks, but it is not one of those rivers that is historically like pristine, clean. It could be muddy. It's not the, the rivers that Nahum is used to. Notice he says that in, in verse 11. He was furious and went away. He left. And he said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. And he says in verse 12, Are not Abana and Farfar, Farvar, the, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. The two rivers he mentioned are rivers that flow from mountains. Right? Typically clear and clean, unpolluted, typically not muddy. And so he just looks at this from, from a perspective, from his own perspective, and judges that this is just utter nonsense. Utter nonsense. And, and really, that's exactly how many people today, maybe even you and I, have responded in the past when we have heard the simple teaching of the Word of God. Much like Nahum, we, we think we know better than God's Word. We hear the Word of God and we think it's foolishness. We elevate our wisdom above the authority of God's Word, which causes us to question and doubt the Word of God. And, and by the way, that's exactly what the enemy of your souls wants us to do. The flesh, the world, and the devil are all working against us in this call to be a careful listener. When our flesh gets rebuked or corrected by the word of God, we want to run off with some half-thought-out justification on why we don't have to listen to it. We attack the word itself or attack the authors of the word of God, defame them so that we don't have to put ourselves under the authority. The world, which loves darkness puts immense pressure on us to, to conform us to their distrust and disobedience of God's word. And, and then there's the devil's desire to, to ruin and devour you by getting you distracted and away from the word of God. He wants to, you to doubt or even better to disobey. Or if you can't do that, just, just ignore God's instructions. And in Naaman's case, all this came to be seen in his pride. He was his anger. He was offended. And his pride was a major stumbling block to his careful listening to and receiving God's word. But thankfully, by the grace of God, that wasn't the end for Naaman. For we read in the next verse in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 13, Then his servants came near. So he, he got angry and he left. But his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you some, some, to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean. Wash and be clean. Now think about the courage of the prophet. You have an enraged general 
And yet there's the courage of a wise servant. Maybe more, it looks like more than one. For his servants came. And they reasoned with him and talked to him and said, well, if he'd have told you to do some difficult task, would you have not done that? With the obvious, obvious answer is, yes, he would have. But because he asked him to do some simple task in, in really a somewhat dirty river, he got insulted. But understand what he was doing. But Nahum, Nahum wisely listened to the voices around him. He didn't reject it just because they were servants. They weren't as wise or as strong or mighty as he was. We read in verse 14 that Nahum went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. You notice Nahum's repentance in the sense that he went from being angry and unlistening to listening and obedient. The prophet said, dip seven times. Nahum dipped seven times. I wonder what he was thinking about each time he went into the muddy river and dipped himself. But don't don't think that Nahum's healing was just a healing of physical nature. His flesh was healed such that it was like like that of a, of a little child and he was clean. Think about Nahum's transformation as he went back to his country later. We're not told about that in scripture. But what a witness he would be of God's power that there was a God in Israel who could heal. But, but as I mentioned, it's not just a physical healing. Nahum had a spiritual transformation for we're told that that in his own words, Nahum declared this, behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now Nahum serves, this illustration of Nahum serves as a a vivid example of 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 how we ultimately should respond The negative example is how he initially responded. But the positive example is how he ultimately responded. That he listened. The New Testament book of James warns us about careless listening to God's word. Turn in your Bibles with me to to first, uh, sorry, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to read to you verses uh, 9 to 25, but before I do so, let's, let's just go to the, to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Our Lord, our God, we just thank you that you're a God who heals, a God who transforms, a God who takes hard soil and turns it into fertile soil in our lives, a God who transforms, a God who can heal the leprosy of skin, but also the, the, really the, the disease of a hardened heart. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to hear your word with understanding, to humbly submit ourselves to the authority of your word. And Lord, just to be careful listeners uh, to your word. 
And we just ask for your help to do this, for your Holy Spirit to work within us, to teach us and instruct us and guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. It's in the name of the Lord we pray. Amen. Well, let's read James chapter 1, verse, read verse 19 through, uh, through 27. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Beloved, this morning we're not going to do a, say, a strict uh, exposition of this passage, but this passage is going to be kind of interwoven. The, the, the idea of this, of this passage is really interwoven within the, um, the theme and thrust of, the, of our message this morning. For you to be a careful listener to the word of God. Notice the, the, just the impact of it. The, the, the end. That's why I read all the way to verses 26 and 27. There is a religion that is absolutely worthless. And then there is a religion, a true relationship with God, that is worthwhile. And, the, and that's worth as demonstrated in some specific ways that are mentioned in verse We are to be careful listeners. And this morning, I want you to understand that you must discipline yourself to be a careful listener to the Word of God so that you will be an effectual doer of the Word of God and not a forgetful hearer who deludes himself. So this morning, we're going to learn about disciplining ourselves to be a careful listener. So how do we discipline ourselves to be a careful listener? Well, the first thing I want us to see is that we must fully embrace God's command to be a careful listener. So first of all, God has commanded that you listen to his word. God has given his word time and time again, recorded for us in the scriptures, which are now complete, and he has commanded us to listen. You may not have thought about this, but God is a God of instruction. God is, God, God is not a God who has manifestly revealed himself in fireworks, in great displays and signs. God could have created us, put us in kind of a stand or an audience, and then created the world and watched us, us, I I mean, allowed us to watch him create the world. He could have done that. But he created all of the, really the physical things, the spectacular things, and then just told us about it later. Jesus kind of did the same thing when he came to earth. The, 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the challengers of Jesus, they wanted him to work these, these magical signs. Of course, he was healing. There were some signs, and ultimately he healed Lazarus from the, from the dead. So there were signs. But they wanted him to do something spectacular. You know, float in the air or, uh, you know, create some great wonders in the sky. They wanted him to do spiritual fireworks, so to speak. But, but God is a God of instruction. Jesus came teaching a lot more than he did healing. God is a God who teaches. That implies we be good listeners. You see, in the, in the beginning, God gave instructions to Adam and Eve. And he held them accountable for their obedience and disobedience. In their case, disobedience to his commands. In the establishment of the nation of Israel, God gave instructions along with promises of blessing for, blessings for obedience and promises of curse for disobedience. We see this in, in a few strategic places. I'll just read a few of those to us this morning for our edification. So I'm turning to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 allows us to hear directly from our Lord. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me regard to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Oh, Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it. It may be well with you that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build, and houses full of good things which you did not fill, and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, and you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the other gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. Otherwise, the anger of the Lord your God will be kindled against you, and he will wipe you off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested him at Massah. You, shall, you should diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you and that you may go in and possess the good land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers by driving out all of your enemies from before you as the Lord has spoken. 
God reiterated time and time again to the Israelites and to his people the importance of listening carefully to his word. Time and time again, they would say, yes, Lord, we will listen. But in the end, they did not. They thought they could, they could please God by half-heartedly listening to him, feigning worship to him. I say feigning. It wasn't that they, they, they were really trying to worship him, but they were trying to worship him while holding on to the other gods, so-called gods of the lands around them as well. They did not worship him with all their heart, soul, and mind and strength. We, we see again this, this reiteration of, of the, just the um, command to obey as well as the blessings for o- obedience and the judgment for, for disobedience. In uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning at verse 13, Deuteronomy 11, beginning at verse 13, God says, It shall come about if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and, and all your soul, that he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. He will give you grass in your fields and for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. Beware that your hearts are not deceived, that you do not turn away and serve other gods and worship them, or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will, be sh- he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord has given you. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul. Notice the imagery there. I can't help but just stop and and provide some comments here. You shall impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul. That implies a thoughtful, careful listening to God's word. It was not in one ear and out the other. It wasn't just a a quick, crass, yes, Lord, uh, we'll obey you. That's not what he's calling his people to do. He's saying impress them. They're going to have to discipline themselves. They're going to have to take God's word and press it into their heart and their soul. And as an image of that, he says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They should be as frontals as your forehead. There are people today who bind portions of the word of God to their hand or their forehead, thinking that that literal uh, following of the commandment is going to do anything to their heart. The issue is impressing God's word into the heart and into the soul. That's what God calls us to. And, and when Jesus came, he came also with that same desire of pressing the word of God into us and, and that we would obey him in it. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, um, says this, and you know it well, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's the evangelization standpoint. But then he goes on to say, teaching them to observe all that I command you. So part of the Great Commission is not just evangelization, but making disciples, teaching those who follow Christ that they must obey Christ. Now, 2 Peter, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, the apostle emphasizes the fact that God is a God who has given us his word and that we need to pay attention to it. He says, so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place. 
until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. So that's the, that's the focus and attention we need to give God's word. Beautiful imagery. Imagine yourself in a totally dark environment and there's one lamp, there is one light. Your eyes will naturally gravitate towards that light, looking at the light for guidance in a dark world. That's the imagery. That's how we're supposed to be listening to the word of God. And he reminds us, uh, the apostle Peter reminds us that, that this scripture that you hold in your hands is, is not a matter of one's own interpretation. It's not a creation of man. He says, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. And by prophecy, he's talking about scripture, not just prophetic scripture, but all of scripture. He says, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So, beloved, you hold in your hands a translation and copy of the words of God. Do we reverence it that way? I'm not calling for bibliology. Right? We don't make an idol out of mere paper. But God has given us his word. Do we reverence his word? Not, not, not just the molecules that make up the paper. The paper itself is not that important. But it is, it is the words themselves. The paper is important because it gives a objective evidence of what God said. But it, it, it is his word coming alive within us that is so important. There's just much that could be said here, but I, I need to move to my second point. So how do you become a careful listener? Fully embrace the God's command for you to be a careful listener. By the way, that applies to believers and unbelievers. It really does. God commands unbelievers to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, and be saved. And if they do not, they will be held accountable for that. But if he holds unbelievers accountable, how much more is he going to hold believers accountable for listening to his word? And beloved, you will cling dearly to his word, not only because of the command, but if you understand the word rightly, you will cling to it because it is your very life. It is your very life. Without it, we are lost. Without it, we don't know what is truth. Without it, we don't know how to live. Without it, our souls are not fed. Our souls are not restored. Psalm 19, verses 1 to 11, gives us an apt and really a nicely summarized description of the work of God in our lives. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Just listen to those descriptions. I mean, do you treasure God's word in that way? Do you see God's word as, as, as the very the very instrument of the Lord bringing you to know him, the instrument of your regeneration through the power of the Holy Spirit, the instrument of your spiritual growth. And Jesus emphasizes this in his prayer. John 17, 17, he, he prays for his disciples. He prayed to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So God's word is the very tool of sanctification that he uses to make us more like Christ. And, and really, this, this idea of the, of the Word of God being that tool or instrument of God is, is what causes the Apostle Paul to, to write to Timothy 
uh, this great portion of Scripture, this great description of Scripture, really, we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, we read this. Uh, Paul commands Timothy, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Beloved, you and I desperately need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, and that happens through the Word of God. Not magically. You can't put your head on it, or as I once heard R.C. Sproul say, you can't put your elbow on the Word of God and expect to get any wisdom from it. You've got to read it. You've got to study it. You've got to listen to sound preaching and, and uh, take it in. That's how you impress it upon your soul. And you do that because the Word of God is not merely written. It is living. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the vision of souls and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When you read the word of God, you let God work on your soul. He brings conviction of sin. He changes your thinking. And he brings about repentance, forgiveness, and Christ-likeness. So, beloved, we are called to cling to the word of God as if it is our life, because it is. We need to clearly understand that we have a desperate need to be a careful listener to God's word. But we also need to believe, beloved, in, in being a careful listener. Thirdly, we need to, to truly believe that regeneration is the only foundation for being a careful listener. You know, you and I, all human beings, are born with a listening problem. You see it acutely in children, and then later as People mature and, and become adults. They learn how to give feigned obedience. So we're still just as disobedient, but usually it's just expressed in the heart. Usually it's not something that's acted out. But we're all born thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We are born elevating our own opinion, which foolishly leads us to presume that we can stand in a position of judgment over God's word. But in reality, God's word stands in judgment over us. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're born rebels, and we also rebel against God and not listening to his word. There's not even one of us that was born into this world listening well, or that was listening well on his own without God's help. And so, beloved, the problem is because we're born this way, we are spiritually blind, which makes us horrible listeners to God's word, because we don't even understand what God's saying. 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us that a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The, the, the foolish heart is so hard, it can't absorb the truths that it needs to absorb. It, those truths cannot be impressed upon the heart because the heart is a heart of stone. We need to be born again. That's what Jesus was telling Nicodemus, the most learned, one of the, the teacher of Israel at the time. He knew the word of God, but it wasn't impressed upon his heart. He knew it in his head, 
but he didn't have it impressed upon his heart and his life. We need a new heart. We need a heart transplant. And I'm not talking about the, the organ in your chest pumping blood right now. I'm talking about your soul. You need God's transformation of your life, his regeneration through faith in Jesus Christ in order for you to be a careful listener to his word. Without that, you will be the, the foolish listener. You will be the, the listener who deludes himself, who in the end, the religion, though outwardly could be very pompous and look, look like a, a very faithful Christian, but on the inside, it's a worthless religion. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the prophet relays this promise from God. By faith, this happens. God says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Notice the change. A changed heart leads to walking in his statutes and being careful to observe his ordinances. Show me someone who is not walking in God's statutes, who is not careful with observing his ordinances, and I will say that person looks like an unbeliever. They, they, could, they may or may not be, but why do you want to live life looking like an unbeliever instead of a believer? Beloved, I know something of the frustration uh, of, of trying to understand scriptural things without regeneration. I had the benefit, like many of you children here this morning, of growing up in a home where my parents taught me the scriptures and took me to church, where I heard preaching, albeit some of it was very questionable, and if you would look back, you would say, oh, it's pretty bad preaching scripturally because of how it deviated, but it was close enough to the word of God to impress upon my mind I knew who God was. So fast forward into my college years and I would attend Bible studies of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and other organizations like this. But I didn't know it at the time. I thought it was saved. But every time I walked away from the, those Bible studies I would walk away with a bit of frustration. And I never knew why. Until many years later, when I, when I really understood when God saved me, and then in fact, I wasn't even saved. I was, I was as an unsaved person. I was being exposed to the truth. I was being taught the truth. But the reason it was so frustrating for me was because I didn't have that regenerate heart to be able to understand with, with hearing and, and really to give heed to God's word and impress it upon my heart. It all seemed just external. And so, children, this morning, you stand in a place of great blessing. Your, your parents are teaching you the truth. They, they are reading the truth to you. They are bringing you here where you hear good preaching. But understand, this is not enough. This is a blessing. But it is not enough just to hear the Word of God. It is not enough just to know the Word of God. It is not enough to even memorize the Word of God. You must be born Again, you see, Jesus said in Matthew 7 that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And in fact, many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform before many miracles? Then I will declare to you, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you practice lawlessness. You see, Jesus is going to turn aside many people who think they're religious. Probably many people who grew up in church services. Perhaps not so different from this one. With children who thought that just by merely coming to church with mom and dad, by reading the word of God, by prayer, or even sometimes through, uh, through baptism because they were baptized as an infant, or they were baptized uh, shortly after being an infant, that, that somehow that brings them into the family of God. Or later on, they're confirmed through some, some confirmation class that that makes them a child of God. Those things, can, those, those training that churches can provide can be very beneficial, but they can also be very hurtful because children understand those things can lead you to depend upon those things rather than on Christ himself for regeneration. Understand that God wants you to believe in Jesus Christ and, and that Jesus has promised that all who call upon his name shall be saved. They shall be regenerated. So my instruction to you this morning, if you don't know whether or not the Lord is, re, is in your life in a regenerate sense, as you have been born again, pray and just continue to diligently pray and ask God to do that and keep praying until you're sure that he's answered you. And your parents will help you discern when that occurs. And until that, just persist. Realize that the Lord wants you to pray and show faith. Not the faith of a, a momentary prayer. That's hardly worth anything. But the prayer of persistence. The prayer of desire. Truly wanting the Lord to save you and redeem you. He will not turn you away. But beloved, know that, that that regenerate heart is absolutely necessary to be a, a uh, careful listener to God's word. Well, let's move on. I want to move on from not only seeing that we need to fully embrace God's command to be a, a careful listener, to clearly understand our desperate need to be a careful listener, but also and seeing that, that regeneration is the only foundation for being a careful listener. Now to look at how we need to habitually develop disciplines of a careful listener. Here we want to look at what we can do to diligently train ourselves. So this, this assumes that the person who has diligently trained themselves is regenerate. That they recognize that, that God has spoken and they're responsible to listen to his word. And that they need the word of God to grow them and to, to, uh, to really flower them and help them become more like Christ. So the first thing you want to do is, is really train yourself to receive the Bible as the word of God. Train yourself to receive the Bible as the Word of God. Don't just look at the Bible as, as just another book, but look at it as God's message for you. And this is really exemplified for us in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. There in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, For this reason we also, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God which also performs its work in you who believe. So understand that it was Paul's voice or the, the, those that 
helped Paul teach, Barnabas or uh, Saul or one of the others that helped him teach, but understand that it was ultimately God's word. And it's his word that, that really stands forever. It's his word that, that causes uh, us to grow and, and transforms us. So train yourself to receive the Bible as the word of God. Train yourself to feed your soul on the word of God. So we, we talked about how necessary the word of God is. That's fine to acknowledge it, but acknowledge it in practice. Feed on it. Desire the, the word of God as you do your daily food. This is exemplified for us in, in Job 23, 12. There, Job says, I have not departed from the command of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Right? When you skip a meal, you get hungry. You're reminded of that. When, when if there ever comes an occasion where, where you're just so busy that you skip the reading of the word of God and you're just busy that morning, May you, throughout the day, say, oh, I've got to read the Word of God. I've got to read the Word of God. I'm hungry for the Word of God. So that's the desire that you want to pray for and train yourself to really just devour the Word of God and need the Word of God. Desire the, the, the book, the, the book of God, as something as necessary as milk for a baby. Understand that. Peter uses that analogy. He says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word. It's a really good analogy. When babies are young, they want milk. And when they're hungry, nothing else is going to satisfy them. Right? So we're to come with that kind of desire to the word of God for our spiritual growth. Jesus himself said that the man should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds of the mouth of God. Spurgeon noted that it was God's word that made us. It is, is it any wonder that his word should sustain us? So... If you're feeling spiritually weak, feed on the word. There are many people who, who uh, feel spiritually weak, but if you examine their lives, they don't make time for Bible reading. They don't make time to consider what is being preached on Sundays. They don't listen to other sermons. They don't read books about the Bible to help them understand it at all. And so their souls are weak. So train yourself to receive the word of God uh, to receive the Bible as the Word of God. Train yourself to feed your soul on the Word of God. Train yourself to be on guard against laziness and laxness. And we're all like um, prone to this, some more than others. But just as the lack of food will weaken the body, so the lack of Scripture will weaken your soul. Just as water, the lack of water dries up the body, so the lack of Scripture will dry up the soul. So understand that, that if you don't feed your soul... Because of laziness and laxness, there's going to be a spiritual famine of God's word in your life. It is easy to, to sleep in or to get tired. But guard yourself against that. And along with that, train yourself to obey the word of God. To obey without questioning. Quite, ask questions to rightly understand the word of God. Questions in the right place and with the right attitude are appropriate. But once you understand the word of God, don't doubt and question. Be like Joshua and Caleb who trusted God's word, though their present circumstances caused many others to doubt. Spurgeon warned us about doubting God's word. He says, if we doubt God's word about one thing, we shall have small confidence in it in, upon another thing. Sincere faith in God must treat all God's word alike. 
For the faith which accepts one word of God and rejects another is evidently not faith in God, but faith in our own judgment, faith in our own taste, unquote. Beloved, it means we don't make obedience contingent upon our understanding of the reasons for obedience. There are times when Scripture tells us the reasons why we're told to do something. And we can be thankful for those times. But the point here I wanted to emphasize is that we are to be doers of God's word just because God commanded it. And we need to train ourselves with us. If I don't get any farther in the message at all, hear this. Going back to what we read in James, we are to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. That is so important, beloved. Because hearing the word of God, you can think that you're spiritual because you can tout and and recite verse and chapter of the attributes of God. But if you're not putting those those, uh, if the attributes, let's put it this way, if the attributes of God are not impacting your daily life, you haven't properly understood them. Because the more we understand about God, the more holy we're going to live for Him. Which is why James says in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, but he, he deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So bridling the tongue is just one, one manifestation of the Holy Spirit at work in your life, transforming you and sanctifying you. If your, if your tongue isn't bridled at all, right? And, and James will later say that no one can fully bridle the tongue. Right? But what he's saying, if, if, anyone, if anyone's religion, and he used that term kind of in a broad sense, if your religion, if your faith in God doesn't transform your life, it's, it's a dead faith. It's a worthless religion, It is so dangerous for us to hear the word of God and not respond to it. We deaden our ears. And and unless God grants grace, that doesn't come back. It's, it's It's like working with your hands in such a way where you build up huge calluses. And those calluses are helpful to farmers and those who work with their hands. So it's not to put a disdain on calluses, but it's a good illustration. Once your hands are fully calloused, you cannot feel light touches. That's the grace of God for those that have to work with their hands. Helps them to avoid a lot of pain. But understand that if we build up calluses around our heart by by not listening to God's word, by not doing what God's word tells us to do, we put ourselves in grave danger. We shut down the conscience that God has given us. If, if we fail to respond to God's word. Beloved, this church upholds expository preaching. Expository means that, we, that I preach, and whoever preaches here is going to bring the original intent, uh, is going to explain the original meaning and the original intent of the author to you, and then help you understand its, its applications and implications. But where we start, where the emphasis is on, is helping you to understand the Word of God. Because if you don't understand the Word of God, if all I did up here, if all I did up here is, is just basically give you a list of to-dos and not to-dos, uh, some of you would listen, but your mind wouldn't be transformed. I want you to understand the text, so I purposely emphasize the, the explaining the text so that the Holy Spirit can use that to transform your mind in all the various ways that He chooses to apply that. 
The application of Scripture is something that I want to help grow in as a pastor, help pointing out these things to you. But understand, the responsibility for application lies in your lap. You are to take these things and, and to, to um, press them upon your life. Sometimes it's just thinking differently about God or about you or about this life. Sometimes it's not things to go do. But understand, you must train yourself to listen and to obey. Understand, beloved, that we want to train ourselves to be expository listeners. So we have expository preaching. The response to that, some has coined the term expository listening. Expository listening is basically um, listening with the intent of, a, of understanding the scriptures and applying it to your life. Applying it to your life. Be that effectual doer. Expository listening is hearing what is preached with the purpose of understanding and obeying. In other words, expository, the expository listener recognizes his or her responsibility to act on the message that has been heard. Train yourself in this. Beloved, we, we come to expect that whoever preaches will spend the time necessary to prepare so that you not hear my opinion or the other person's opinion, but that you hear God and, and God's voice and God's opinion. But have you ever thought about your own responsibility to prepare? To prepare to listen to God's word. Spurgeon said this. He, he said, we are told men ought to, ought to not preach without preparation. Granted. But we add, men ought not to hear without preparation. Which do you think needs the most preparation? The sower or the ground? I would have the sower come with clean hands. But I would have the ground well plowed and harrowed, well turned over, and the clods broken before the seed comes in. It seems to me that there is more preparation needed by the ground than by the sower, more than the hearer than the preacher. Now, I had a list of things, some practical things that, that, that uh, I was going to give you this morning. I don't have time to go through them, so I will not go through them. But what I do want to do is point you to a nice, small book and it is genuinely small, uh, called Expository Listening by Ken Ramey. And um, it is well worth your listening talks from everything, from how to prepare uh, before the sermon, to how to respond to the sermon while it's being preached, to even how to respond to, the, to afterwards and through the week. So understand that, that we are called to orient our lives around God's voice. So we would honor him and glorify him and that we would grow uh, in our Christ-likeness to glorify his name. Beloved, understand that, that the message this morning comes from a pastor's heart who has seen far too many, far too many listen inattentively, who have listened just casually without application of this to their lives. My prayer for you is that that would not be you. My prayer is that you would be that careful listener who honors God and honors his word. Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, we just want to really just stand in, in humility before you, knowing that you have made us and you have given us your word. And Lord, we have in general disregarded it. 
but you intervened in our lives, opening our eyes to our great need. And for many here this morning, Lord, bringing them to faith and regenerating their souls so they might hear with understanding. But there might be some here today who don't know you. And Lord, I just ask that you would impress yourself upon them in a gracious way, opening their eyes to see their great need. And Lord, just cause them to call out upon you for salvation and for faith through the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be a careful listener to your word. Lord, I just want to pray, too, for us as we approach the Lord's Supper this, this morning, that we would approach it in a hallowed sense, not as a sacrament in the sense that the bread is just the bread and the juice is just the juice, but to approach it by what it symbolizes. Lord, we don't want to run over carelessly or run past carelessly the great work that you have done in dying on the cross and being raised in newness of life. Lord God, that we just confess our, really our tendency to not listen. We're going to confess that as sin. And Lord, I ask that you would cleanse us from all un- unrighteousness, that you would cleanse us, Lord, from the desire and to do our own thing, the thought that we know better than you do. Protect us, Lord, from justifications of our minds that cause us to ignore your word. Make us sensitive, Lord God, to your word. Lord, you died on the cross for our sins. You took the punishment that we deserve. And we just want to exalt you this morning by by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Lord, work in our lives. Allow these images, uh, these symbols as we partake of them to really remind us of the reality that Christ died for our sins. And he was raised in newness of life three days later. Victorious over death and sin. Impress these truths upon us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.